Man, I love hearing fellowshipping going on in the church this morning. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, there's, uh, I met, met with a guy this week, and we were talking about what he missed most about the church and uh, being together as a body. He said, man, I love worship. <clears throat> I love pre- hearing the word preached, but man, I miss fellowship. And uh, that's what the body's all about. So we're glad you're here this morning. We're glad you're fellowshipping with us. Uh, so a couple of things before we just dive in and, and, and off the deep end this morning and get into the Word. Um, so uh, we have set up in our, uh, it's kind of our toddler baby room, which is right back in the hall just before you get to the ladies' restroom. Uh, we do have our live stream in there as well. So so moms, if, if baby gets restless or you need to go feed or whatever happens, that's there for you. So just want you to know there's a place. There's a place you can go. I won't promise it'll be a solace place, but it's a place, okay? And so that's back there for you uh, this morning. Uh, if you're here and, and you're hanging out with us or visiting with us for the first time, or maybe you've come for a while and uh, you haven't quite connected with the journey, uh, we want to invite you to fill out a Connect card this morning. There's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, if you go to our website at thejourneyclean.com, right on the front, uh, page there's a tab that says connect here just click on that and you can fill that out we also have connect cards I know you probably can't reach them because they're way in front of you uh, so you can either reach way in front of you and grab one of those or you can get one off the back table and so we just invite you just fill that out and there's a basket just on the back table you can leave it there you can leave it in your seat and one of our ushers will grab that this morning and so uh, if you're watching at home man go go to our website at thejourneyclean.com that's the best place you can connect uh, here at the journey and so we would love to share with you just some ways uh, that you can connect here as well so man I'm excited that you're here um, with us this morning so where where are all my boys and girls man I know we got a ton of boys and girls in here this morning so in some of your bags did you find an apple did any of you find an apple in there can you hold that up can I see your apple did y'all find an apple there should be an apple in there somewhere ah I see it there's a couple of apples right how many of you like apples? Do y'all like to eat apples? Any of you eat apples? I love apples. Y'all love it in my oatmeal. I like it in my cereal. Um, I like it in really strange things too, like Mexican food. So that's kind of weird, I know. So let me ask you guys a question this morning, boys and girls. How can you tell that an apple tree is an apple tree from all the other trees in the world? What is it? The fruit, right? Do apple trees have oranges on them? No. We don't have oranges on apple trees or bananas, right? We have apples, right? So let me ask you this. How do people know that you are your mom and dad's boys and girls? How do people know? Has anybody ever told you, man, you look just like your dad or just like your mom? No? Man, I get that all the time right and now sometimes they'll see a picture of me and my son up there Troy the big hairy uh, college student um, and they'll see our picture side by side and say man you know Troy and Mark y'all look just alike especially when I had the beard they said y'all look even more alike well why is that what's well, because boys and girls you um, have your mom and dad, dad's um, uh, characteristics I know that's a big word I couldn't think of a better one. Okay, you have all their traits like their, their, their hair color, their eye color, their height. Sometimes even they say habits can be passed on. I don't know. 
you know, I think those are learned, but sometimes we have the same mannerisms as our parents, right? Well, that's because all of that is running through us, so it identifies us. So let me ask you boys and girls, look up here real quick. How does someone know you're a Christian? Somebody tell me. Any idea? How does somebody know whether you're a follower of Christ or not? You can tell mom or dad and then holler it out. Do you know? Oh, that's kind of a hard one, huh? It's sometimes hard to tell. Yeah, did you know sometimes, it, for me, it's even hard to tell if someone's truly a believer. We know the Bible says that we'll be known by our fruit, right? By those characteristics of Christ in our life. So if we have love, if we have joy, if we have peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things, boys and girls, that's how people know we're Christians. The same for mom and dad. And that's how people know we're believers. Well, we are in the book of James this morning at a really important place. I would say probably one of the top two or three most difficult scriptures, right, to weigh with all of the Bible, okay? And so if you've read James before, you probably know where we're getting to, okay? So we're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open there to chapter 2, verse 14. We also have some Bibles on the back table. Please feel free, use one of those. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, take that with you. That's our gift to you this morning. We want you to be in the Word of God. So once you have that, can I just invite all of you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word this morning? And we're going we're gonna to read this this morning. It's just a few short verses, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2. So this is what James says to the church. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? To them. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will say, I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The reading of God's word. You can be seated this morning. Okay, so. There's, there's a couple of things you're going to notice in the text this morning. One is the word dead, death, right? What, what does death have to do with faith? What does death have to do with our Christian walk? And the second thing is, what kind of faith saves a person? In fact, James even says that. He says, can this kind of faith that doesn't have any action behind it, can it really save you? Are you really saved? According to James, a faith that acts... Okay, a faith that 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 acts will not allow us to walk any other way. And so once your feet are moving that direction, a true faith that saves you is going to keep you on that motion. Now, notice there's a difference here between James is not talking about an immature Christian. Okay, he's not talking about. Someone maybe who's just kind of backslidden a little bit, struggled with sin in their life, but have repented and are working on getting their life right. And he's not talking about the difference between immaturity and maturity. I want to get that straight. 
Okay, it's talking about the difference between being saved and not being saved. How do we know if someone is truly saved? And so, man, I love James. James is like, man, go big or go home. I mean, he, he's going to say it. Now, the, the difficulty here, and I'll give you this, well, I'm going to give you this from the very beginning, is a lot of people have trouble weighing what James says with what Paul says, right? Because if you go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which is the quintessential verse of Christians that we use in, in sharing the gospel and the gift of grace, okay, and where it talks about that, that man is saved apart from works, okay? So when we understand whether we're saved by our works, but he says, no, man is, uh, is saved apart from works so that nobody can boast. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the work of God in you so that no man can boast. Okay, so this is, the, this is kind of the controversy we're going to have this morning. Now remember James is the half-brother of Jesus, and James did not come to Christ till after Jesus was resurrected. In fact, we learn that in Acts. He, w- he was not necessarily with the early followers. I mean, he came later, right? And so James is bold enough to say, now, where's your faith? So there are two main truths that are repeated over and over again in James' writing. The first is faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. The second one is faith without works does not justify us before God. Okay? Now, we have to be careful. And, and I, I, wanna, I want you to understand, James is not um, talking about Christians when he says that. Okay? He's talking about someone who's lost. And maybe someone who's lost and doesn't even know it. Maybe they, they don't even realize that they are lost, right? They, they don't understand that. Three times in the text, James warns that a faith without works is dead. Um, everybody remembers the favorite Christmas movie, The Scrooge, right? It's been, or Christmas Carol. It's been done over and over again. And, and the character, the main character of The Christmas Carol is The Scrooge, right? So why do people love the Christmas Carol so much? Because it's kind of a spooky, creepy movie if you look at it, right? He gets visited by these ghosts. He gets shown all of his past, all the horrible things that he did, and and all of these things. And at the very end of the movie, what if it just ended like that? What if it ended with just seeing all the bad things he had done in his life? How many of us will go see the movie? Uh, Probably not very many, right? Why do we love the movie? It's the ending, right? He wakes up on Christmas Day. He's like, hey, go buy the turkey. Let me get all this stuff because my life has changed and I want people to know it. And so he has a transformation. It's the same with my favorite movie at Christmas time, The Grinch Has Stole Christmas. Um, not necessarily my family's, right? So I have to watch them when they're not there. My favorite is, is Jim Carrey's version. I don't know why. I just love that version of it. But at the very end of all of his loathing and his scheming and all of this stuff, you remember the quintessential scene at the end where his heart expands. He's like, I'm right and he starts crying you know and he's changed see that is the difference between someone who is saved and not that's why fruit is so important so let me give you the big idea this morning so the big idea is faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives faith in our hearts is evident in the fruit of our lives i am more convinced the longer I've been a believer and the more I've been in the ministry, that you have to have both. You have to have faith and fruit. 
How can we be sure we have saving faith? James would say, be sure you have fruit. So if you walk by, like we said, an apple tree, you're going to identify that by its fruit. Now, now it's critical that we understand what saving or justifying faith is, right? What justifies us before God? Does the fruit justify us? That's not what James is saying. James doesn't say, he doesn't say, oh, um, that, 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 if, that faith saves you. He says faith is an identifier, or works saves you. He says works is an identifier. It identifies us, right? And so we're all identified. I could come out there this morning and ask you about your parents or your mom or dad or your job or whatever you are. Those are identifiers in your life, right? But you say, man, I'm a plumber, or I'm an electrician, or I'm an accountant, or I'm all of these things, okay? So these are things we do, and people identify us with that. And all through Scripture, okay, the Bible continually talks about what identifies you as a believer of Christ. So can that faith save you? What kind of faith truly saves you? Well, the Reformers had a great idea and I'm going to give this to you this morning. Consider, they considered the question of saving faith. They found in Scripture three aspects that are essential to true faith. And I believe this is true for us today. The first of these is, it's, it's, it's a Latin word. It's called noticius, okay, which is intellectual content. Okay, it's an intellectual belief, right? And so they would say that before somebody comes to heart faith, Okay, they start to wrap their mind around this Jesus, right? Is he really who he said he was? Is this really true? So I started uh, this week, I started uh, my doctoral work, something I've been wanting to do for 10 years, never seemed right. My son's almost done with college, so I thought, ah, great time, I think I'll start it. And so I want to do it in apologetics. And so one of the things they want me to do over the summer is to narrow down what I want to do a thesis on. And the more I looked at it, the more I'm convinced that not necessarily a good intellectual argument saves somebody, right? I have never seen anybody come to Christ because I've shared with them about creation and the cosmos and, and, and DNA and giving them all the proof, right? Now, I'm not saying that doesn't help. Okay, that can be a, a means to that, but that's not what saves somebody. And so they say it's not just your intellect alone. So the second component of saving faith, they said, is a sensuous or belief that is a content of it being true. This is where it connects your heart. So we start to connect our mind with our heart, and we believe it to be true, whether somebody refutes it or not. I mean, whether somebody says it's not true or not. Okay, even if we don't have all the evidence, right? This is belief. This is, where, this is where salvation starts to take root in your heart. And then the last one, finally, saving faith is a fiducious faith. It's placing our trust in him, okay? So, we, so it's like Hebrews 11 says, we place our trust in the things we can't see, right? And so we begin to place our trust, and then we begin to act that faith out. Every early Christian, every early reformer, early teacher of the word of God would never detach faith from works. In fact, Paul doesn't do that, right? Because you go to verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, and not just 8 and 9, he says that we were created what? For good works. You were created to work, right? 
Work is a bad word in a lot of people's homes, and especially with the pandemic finishing. A lot of people are like, man, I have to go back to work, right? We, we sometimes see that as a bad thing. Man, we get to work. So three things. We know it to be true. Okay, we believe it to be true, and now we trust it to be true. So faith in our hearts is made useful by our fruit. Okay, that's how that faith becomes useful. Because until then, guess what? It's just, it's just, it's just an idea. It's not true faith. I mean, that's what James says. It's not true faith. It doesn't, doesn't really go anywhere. So, so how do we know if someone has that kind of faith? Well, look at Matthew 7, verses 16 through 20 with me real quick. So this is what Jesus says. He says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Right? No! Never! So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now let me make a distinction here. Okay, He's also talking about those that are saved and those that are unsaved. So a true believer... Only bear, I mean, not that we don't sin, right? But the fruit you bear for the kingdom of God is good fruit. So there's a differentiation here between the good fruit and those who truly are, are not saved. See, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, right? A true believer can't really ba- bear bad fruit for the kingdom. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Until you come to Christ, you're diseased, right? So every tree that does not bear good fruit, he says is what? It's cut down. It's thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go do what? Bear fruit. Right? Matthew 3, 8 says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that you may go and what? Bear fruit, right? I mean, it's all through the Bible. Probably the number one question I get uh, from whether it's parents or people who, who have uh, a loved one that they're struggling with their relationship with Christ is, are they saved? How do I know? And they want me to give them, give them this comfort of understanding how you know. And I always take them to these passages. I said, now, there can be and the scripture bears it out, there can be people who have false fruit, right? It's not real, okay? And so that's why sometimes people can appear to do good things. In fact, the Pharisees were doing that. Jesus called them on it all the time. He's like, man, look, look at all the show they're going through. So when somebody bears fruit for the kingdom, it's a little bit different. So the false sense of saving faith comes when we rely on ourselves. We're not relying on God. And so when James talks about works, okay, and he goes on to say, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, God bless you. Go in peace. Be warm. Good for you. It's kind of that holy pat on the back. It's like somebody else will take care whoop, fix it, knocked over, of this problem, right? Take them out there. We need to move those, Landon. Uh, so we need to... You know, and so we kind of give him that pat on the back, and we're like, eh, good for you. I'm glad you, I mean, do you find it? There's a little bit of humor in there with James. It's like, we just give him a pat on the back. Hey, God bless you. Good for you. Somebody else to take care of that need or that problem. James would say that's not truly a believer because we don't do that, right? We have a desire to, to see them changed. 
We, want to, we have a desire to help them. So James asks the question, what good is it? What good is your fruit? And basically, he says, it's meaningless. No, Kent Hughes, uh, theologian and pastor, explains it this way. He says, Paul's teaching about faith and works, and this is how we square with what Paul says and what James says, focuses on the time before conversion. So you notice that when Paul is preaching and teaching to the Gentiles, he's teaching to a lot of people who are not believers, right? Most of them. But James is speaking to the church. He's talking to you. Right? And so that's why he uses this kind of language. So James is assuming that every believer has works. Every believer bears fruit. See, he's saying that the faith that this person claims to have, and many people believe this is a specific individual that he's talking to, okay? He's talking to the church as a whole, but somebody somewhere had pushed a button in James. We don't know where. Okay, somebody has pushed a button because he's like, well, what good is it? What good is all your works? There's an article called Just Breathe um, that talks about life with God and the world. I, I want to read a little bit of this to you. Uh, it's by Barry Jones. He gives an image for holding the tension between inner spiritual growth and our outward mission uh, efforts. Okay, so he talks about the inner man and the outer man. So he says, there's a rhythm in life that pulses through the biblical vision of every believer and what it means to truly be saved. A kind of breathing in and breathing out. So he says an inhale and an exhale. So the breathing in is our participation in the divine life. Every Christian who's saved has the spirit breathing inside of them, right? We have life because of that. And so we're breathing in all of that grace, all of that mercy, all of that that he's given us. And he says, but there also has to be a breathing out, an exhale, right? And that is the moving forward with works where we do things for other people because of what's already taking place in our life. So let me ask you something. If all you ever do is breathe in, how long do you think you'll live? <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but I think that's a bad thing, right? You have to exhale, right? You got to exhale all that carbon dioxide, all that stuff out. You can't just breathe in all the time. And so he's saying, someone who's just breathing in is not exhaling. He says, it's not living. You're not alive. And so he's not really saying this person's even saved. He's saying they don't have Christ. See, it also doesn't even work with our Christian walk. See, the absence of the exhale is evidence that we're not truly saved. Number two, real faith requires real action. I don't know if I gave you number one. So let me go back and give you that. Number one is real faith requires real fruit. Okay, so real faith requires real fruit for us to uh, bear out. So the second one is real faith requires real action. Okay, so we have to have a real action. So let me ask you this. Does action, action happen without a purpose? Does it just happen? I don't think so. I think we purpose to do things sometimes. I think sometimes we maybe hope we just accidentally fall into a place, and it happens sometimes where we can help someone in need. But I think sometimes we have to make an effort. We have to have action behind that. See, people who fail to help, he says, and this is the second time he said it in James, people who are poverty-stricken, fellow believers, in fact, that are in need. So actions show our belief. So our churches are filled with two kinds of people, okay? Um, I believe our churches are filled with givers and takers, okay? 
We have many people that come to church every Sunday, and great, we're glad they're here. They come, they hear, they listen, and, and, and they sit, but there's no action behind their faith. There's no, as I would say, teeth behind it, right? It's just coming and being filled. I hear people all the time say, man, I need to go get, have you ever heard this? I need to go get my spiritual fix, right? What's somebody mean about get a spiritual fix, right? I'm thinking, they have IVs here, we're being hooked up. How do I get my spiritual fix? Well, what they mean is, I want to come and be fed. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Being fed as a Christian is a daily process. I would argue it doesn't happen just on Sunday. If you're counting on Sunday just to be your spiritual filling, man, you're not going to be very filled. You're going to be hungry by the time uh, lunch gets around, right? You're going to be hungry again. Look at the feeding of the 5,000. You know what is so interesting about that story? What people don't talk about, they talk about the great miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 men, not to include the women and children, probably 10,000 people he fed, right? Do you remember that not too much later they came back? Why? Because they were hungry again. They were following Jesus because he was their meal train. They're like, Jesus, give us some more food. Give us some more of that. That was good stuff. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I mean, that, that's not, even though he met physical needs, so we have people that are takers. We come for that physical feeling to have our needs met, to have our things taken care of. And that's, that's part of what the church is here for. We're here to meet needs. Absolutely, I get that. But the other thing is somewhere we have to cross over into being givers. And that's what James says, somewhere your life has to have that transformation. James, in essence, is saying that faith of some people claim to have cannot even save them save them so so now you can you can do cartwheels up and down the aisle all morning this morning and skirt around this where it says that faith without works doesn't save but it's still here right it's right there in black and white well james reminds us of two important things the acts of mercy are not a means to salvation so let me clear that up okay they are not a means to salvation I don't find anywhere in Scripture where it says that that, that saves you. Because there are a lot of people who do great, merciful things that are not saved. I'll be honest with you. Okay, so we can't just say because somebody on the outside looks that way that they're saved. But this is what acts of mercy do. Acts of mercy are necessary evidence of our salvation. They are necessary. I believe that. So faith without action is useless. That's what James says, our faith without any action behind it. So mercy is not optional for a believer. So let me, let me take you to Matthew chapter 25. How did Jesus view our, our actions and, and our faith? So this is, what, this is what Jesus said, and this is right after the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when the Son of Man comes in, his, in all of his glory and all the angels with him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate from them from one another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. So this is a, just paint the picture, this is a picture of of the judgment at the very end when Christ comes back in all of His glory, right? He's separating out the true believers from the unbelievers, the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Woo! Man, we're excited. All the believers get their inheritance. Man, it is a great picture. 
And Jesus lays it on him. He said, did you, did you catch that? He's talking about those blessed by the Father, but the antithesis of that, he says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. So he's talking about works, right? The identifier, and, and boys and girls, that's why I asked you at the beginning, what identifies you as a Christian? Somewhere those take place. But then he gives the opposite side of that. He talks about those who didn't. He says, there were those who didn't do all of these things. And this is what happened. They're all sitting there scratching their heads. They're like, wait, did you not take care of Jesus? Man, I took care of Jesus, all right? I don't remember him being hungry. I don't remember him being naked. I don't remember him not being clothed. I don't remember any of this. And Jesus says, when you've done it to one of these, you've done it to me. So the same thing applies to us. And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Christian, do not miss the point. Because Jesus is saying that ministering to our brothers and sisters in times of need shows your heart. It shows whether you're saved. It shows whether you truly know Christ. See, I know lots of people who do great things that are lost as the day is long. And to do good things without having a heart for it that's not salvation see those who do not feed the hungry or clothe those in need he says will be taken to the eternal fire because their heart is clearly not saved let me make a note here guilt over sin in your life is not a motivation to start working for the kingdom of god okay I'm not saying the Spirit can't use that, that guilt and that gentle nudge and that, that, that desire to pull you that way, right? But I've known people before that try to soothe their own conscience by just working harder, right? I've heard people say that. They'll come in, man, I just, I just need to work harder for the kingdom of God so God will accept me and love me. I'm like, that's not the way it works, right? So we can't just come in and try to soothe our hearts. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said, he said about the saints that are fed and hungry and clothed. He said this, says, the saints fed the hungry and clothed the naked because it gave them much pleasure to do so. That's why we do it. Because our hearts change. He said they did it because they couldn't do anything else. Have you ever been just compelled to help somebody? Man, I just want to help. I'll tell you what, the, the person who truly is bearing fruit for the kingdom of God in a, in, a, in a fruitful way, you will probably never know the things they do for the kingdom of God. Nobody does. It's the unseen things. Man, I, I know I've used this gentleman's illustration before, but I can't, I still in my life cannot think of a better person. In our church, um, in Port Lavaca, before we moved here, we had a gentleman, Virgil Martin, and Virgil was widowed way too early in life um, and he had a lot of life left to live Virgil was our light bulb changer he was our plumber he was our resident electrician in the church he was up there you'd see the light on at the church late at night nobody would be around and I would come into the church and there's Virgil Martin and and by that time he's close to 80 years old he's up on a high ladder I'm like Virgil get down <laughs> I don't want you to die today you know, but that's the kind of heart he had. See, the, our, our acts of service many times are those things that nobody sees. Have you ever tried to validate yourself 
uh, to somebody else. Yeah, we all do in some way, one way or another. Um, when I was in junior high, I wanted to go out for the ninth grade football team. I played a little bit in eighth grade, but I spent all summer getting good at football, lifting weights, bulking up a little bit. And every athlete who's ever played a team sport, what do you want? I mean, you have the first day of practice. What is your goal? You want to get the coach's attention, right? You want him to recognize you because that's how you get in the game. Nobody wants to sit on the bench. You want to get in the game. And so what did I do? Man, I did everything I could to get the coach to, to recognize me. And at the end of practice, they had this thing called bull in the ring, okay? And if you ever play football or been around it, and they put everybody in a circle, and it's one-on-one. Who can take the next person to the ground? I mean, it's quite barbaric, you know? It's kind of like the Coliseum, you know, let's throw them out there. And so they throw us out there. And, man, I was determined I was going to bring every person to the ground. And so one after another, man, coach would throw them at me, and I was throwing them to the ground. And by the end of practice, the coaches at the beginning didn't even know my name. By the end of practice, they're like, Hoover, oh, we need it. We need this guy wants us to notice him see real faith requires real validation before god so james was good at reading people he knew that some people respond to his teaching differently and so he emphasizes a christian over here specializes in faith and one over here specializes in works but he says i will show you my faith by my works i'll show you my faith by how i live my life so validating faith is is several things all put together so remember we talked about a little while ago validating faith is not merely my intellectual assent Man, I know lots of guys, they can talk their circles around the Bible. They just, uh, trust me, I've sat in these think tanks in seminary with these uh, young seminary guys. That's all they've done. They, they haven't even been at a church yet or served on the field. They're just studying all day long, and that's all they do, right? And so they can wrap their mind around the intellectual side, but his belief our belief, okay, is, is not enough to save our soul. Just believing that Jesus is who he said he was is not enough to save me. It's like being a Ford pickup truck, okay? I can go park that thing in my garage, and it has no use if I leave it in the garage, if I just leave it sitting there. I can say that's a pickup truck. I can say it's a Ford, right? And you're like, prove it to me. Does it actually run? Does it do anything? See, that's what James is saying. So note, I, I, I really do fear sometimes that countless men and women have bought into, uh, into this idea that intellectual assent to the truth of God is enough. It's enough, right? It's enough. Just give me the facts, Jack, right? I have all the facts. I can tell you. You can go, so if, if I go into... Um, into uh, children's time this morning with most of your children because I know most of you and I know you've taught them about Jesus, right? And if I ask your children, who is Jesus? I say, and what did he do for you? You know, I say, Jesus, son of God, right? What did he do for you? He died on a cross for my sins, right? Every, every child can understand that. But does that save them? No. The Bible says that doesn't save you. Just the knowledge itself doesn't save you. So understanding this, Gordon uh, Kettle, he's this, he's this uh, Scottish pastor and theologian. He's, he speaks to the next text. I'm going to give this to you before I read you what he says. So then he even goes further. 
He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. You know where that comes from? That's from Deuteron- straight from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, right? The Lord, the God is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, right? So you know that one. So that's what he's saying is, you can believe this. You can believe the, the most essential thing to being a good Jew. But he says, you know what? He says, even the demons believe this. Even the demons believe this. And he says, and they shudder. They shudder. I, I mean, they know this. And this is what Gordon Kittle said. He says, they actually have a more informed faith than most human hypocrites. He's talking about demons. He said, men and women can make their easy professions of faith and live their worldly lives as if they were no God at all. See, there's a casual blasphemy, he says, to the man we call the man upstairs. They can roll off their tongues with the slightest tremble, but we're not really afraid of anything God could do to us. See, that's not saving faith. Second thing is validating faith is not simply an emotional response. Okay? I didn't say your emotions are not a part of that, okay? If you've been here any time with me, you know I'm a very emotional person, okay? When I talk about my Lord, man, I do get emotional. But we can't just buy that. I mean, I was a student pastor for, for almost 20 years, and teenagers love to go to camp. Well, what do they like? Well, they, they love the interaction and everything, but they love the emotional part of it, right? And we always talk about that with that hilltop experience. They come back, man, every kid's at the front weeping, crying, dedicating their life, giving their life to Jesus. And then we come back, and we're wanting fruit, and we don't always see fruit from that. You can't see fruit just from an emotional response. Um, so, so we understand Emotions and feelings can be fickle sometimes. See, the slogan is compared. There's a slogan by um, uh, Camps Crusade for Christ says, Fact, Faith, and Feelings. And it talks about our, our road to, to Christianity like a locomotive engine, okay? So it starts with, with our faith, okay? Uh, out in front, that locomotion is, is our facts. So we get the intellectual knowledge is fact. In the middle is faith, and in the caboose is feelings. And so what they would say, which I don't completely agree with, they, they would say that the, the engine and, and the middle can run without the caboose, okay? Technically, yes. I, I mean, in reality, we know you, you don't necessarily have to have the caboose. But you know what? It's a part of it. See, a part of the Bible, in fact, Jonathan Edwards has written about the Christian affections, religious affections. So you can't tell me that, that peace, hope, joy, love, patience, all of those don't involve some part of our emotions and feelings because they do. There is a connection between the two. But the thing I wanted to get to is number three, validating faith does involve willful obedience. And that's what James is talking about. He's talking about willful obedience. What does willful obedience look like? Willful obedience is evidence of faith in God. It's continuing to obey Him. How many times in Scripture does it say, if you love me, if you show and prove yourself to be my disciples? I mean, so there's always an if. There's always a caveat there to God's love in this relationship to be true believers. Willful obedience is intentional and purposeful. So we work out. Okay, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, willful obedience is also reverence 
and awe before God. We tremble before holy God, not because he's going to smite us tomorrow or he's going he's to get back at us because of our sins. It's because we know who he is and we know who we are, Christian. We need him. Willful obedience is the one that is already at work in your heart and life. I, I would venture to say that every person who's ever come to know Christ before they ever say a prayer of salvation or do any acts of mercy or, or things that would show they're a believer, okay, something drew them to him, right? The gospel is that he loved us anyway. He came and died for us anyway. And so he empowers believers with that relentless desire for him. In fact, that's why in Philippians 1.6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who started that work is going to bring it to completion. So we should rejoice in the fact that God is 100% for us. And if he's 100% for us, he can't be against us. Therefore, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why would you think, you know, this is, what, this is how Christians, let me tell you, this is how Christians, a lot of us view, people view Christianity, is I am free from the law of the Old Testament, right? Which there's truth to that, okay? So, so we understand that, that we are not saved by the law. And so they say, I'm free from all those regulations, all those things. Uh, and they say, even the Ten Commandments and all of this stuff. And they try to lump that up and say, I have this great freedom to be who I want to be. And if I sin, I sin. And God's just going to forgive me because I'm already saved. Well, what's wrong with that idea? There's a lot wrong with that idea. Where do we start? The first is, a true believer wouldn't say that, right? A true believer wouldn't say that because they're transformed, right? They're transformed from the inside. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We, we, are, we are now changed. In fact, Romans 8, 16 says, his spirit bears witness in the spirit of his children. So, where's your fruit? Where's your action? Where is your validation this morning? If the Christian gospel is not faith or works because salvation is faith apart from works or faith and works, then where is the gospel in your life? Week by week, our pulpits should be filled with a hopeful message that we have a faith that actually works. What do people see when they look at the Journey Church Clean or, or other churches in our community? They see a change. They see anything different. Or they see a bunch of people, man, coronavirus over, I get to go back, I get my spiritual feeling, I get my fix for today, and guess what? I'm just going to go back and live how I want to live this week. No, that's not salvation. You know what that is? That's lost. <laughs> that's not knowing Jesus. See, Jesus is inviting us to a relationship, and as we respond to his invitation, we begin to do the work of his kingdom. We never think that we are above the works of God. You want to see faith that works? Get busy. Get after it. For of a grace you've been saved through faith, and the faith that works is knowing that you were created. And get this, I love, as I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 2.10, that you were created from the beginning, from the very foundations of the earth, God created you to work for his kingdom. I want to give you an exercise this week, right? Practical application. That's what I want you to do. I want you to write down three things that you know the Spirit has been convicting you about that you need to do. Three things, three action steps. 
know if you've ever done that. Um, you know, we do that a lot at the beginning of the year. Put action steps, three things we know we need to be doing, right, in our life. And I want you to begin praying about opportunities to begin to start implementing those into your life. Um, now, let me caveat that. Be careful, okay? I'm not saying do that and God's going to love you more. <laughs> I'm not saying do that and you, you, then you'll be saved. No. I'm assuming for those that are saved, we need to be doing those. But I'll give an exercise to those maybe that's not you. I mean, you don't have that desire. You don't have that heart. You need to start praying that, that God would reveal himself to you in the person of Jesus Christ in a real way. Say, help me in my unbelief. You need to come to know Jesus this morning. And we need to come right down here, and we need to have a revival for your spirit and your soul that has come to know him. We're going to have baptism here in several, several weeks, and I would love to just fill this line with people who for the first time realized they were lost because they've been trying all their life to work their way into God's grace. When this truth is proclaimed, in the assembly of believers, and is truly lived out, I, I believe with all my heart that the kingdom of God will burst open in Colleen, Texas, in Fort Hood, in your neighborhood, and around the world. And so in Jeff Foxworthy's expression for that, he would probably say, get her done. And that's why I tell you this morning, we need to get it done. It's time to get to work. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you have given us your incredible gift. And Father, please forgive us this morning for the times that, that we have failed to live it out. That we've just lived by faith alone. And that there's been no fruit, no life in our body. And so Father, I pray for every believer here this morning that they begin to turn to you. And to begin to, to today decide those things in their own heart and their own life that need to change. And you begin to put action our words put action to our faith god help us to live out what we say we believe and i pray for every person here this morning father that does not know you that this morning they would confess before you that they are a sinner and they would receive your gift of mercy into their life today father and that they would they would then be changed father their life would no longer be the same that when they leave here father it's not just about getting filled or getting our fix it's about living out your word every day we love you, Father. We pray all these things in your amazing name. Amen.